Over and over and over again, John has showed us and taught us, love one another. And there's no doubt that's, that's paramount. Jesus himself said the two greatest commandments were to love the Lord thy God with all, their heart, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that love is particularly important among his children. Because your love for me and my love for you represents Jesus Christ himself. John went as far to say, even in his first uh, uh, writing, the Gospel of John, he records Jesus telling his father that the world will know that Jesus was sent by the Father through what? Through our love for each other. That is serious stuff. And so it made perfect sense that he spent almost an entire epistle talking about the importance and the means and the uh, technique for loving each other. Excellent thoughts that we've learned uh, from that. I was a little surprised then that when we get to the conclusion, the last few verses, suddenly now there's a good reminder of God's love, but suddenly now there's three other challenges Four even, four other challenges that he lays at our feet here. So it's almost like he spends so much time on love that he gets the last few verses. And oh, by the way, I've got to teach you four more big things here in the last seven verses. So this morning, it's all about action. Thankfully, these concepts aren't tough to understand. Thankfully, he's painted them pretty clearly all throughout scripture. Our job this morning will be to carry these out. So let's read verses 13 through 21 together of 1 John 5. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There's sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now I told you that it's straightforward this morning. When I first read through, it didn't seem all straightforward. But rest assured that when you kind of knit the message together, it makes real clear sense. Let's start with verse 13. One commentator said that this is the key verse of 1 John. If there was a topic, if there was a subject verse, if there was a main summary that John wanted you to understand, it's verse 13. And what is that summary? Well, look at it. I write these things to you. Who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Why did he write the book of 1 John? What's it say? What's the purpose of this book? I write these things to you 
And then what's the point? That you may know that you have eternal life. The first order of business is A, to make sure that everyone knows that the key point of life is receiving the Savior, Jesus Christ. That we need to believe in the name of Jesus. And what does that entail? John 3.16 lays it out pretty clearly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever may believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's a confidence, there's a trust that each of us needs to put in the Savior. And we need to give ourselves to the Savior and buy in and receive and truly believe that His work for us on the cross is the only way to salvation. But there's more to it. Not more to be saved. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you receive that gift of salvation, you literally take on His death and His resurrection. When you die with Christ, the old is passed away. When you're raised in newness of life, this life is no longer about me. That is the toughest thing to understand. My flesh and the world and the devil, all three, want me to fully believe that life is about KT. They want you to believe that life is about Tim, life is about Anna, life is about me. It's not the case. For those that have been raised with Christ to newness of life, it's all about Jesus Christ. And when we receive him, we have to buy into all that comes with that. Now, one of the encouraging things is that he's written this so that you can be assured. So you can have confidence that your eternity is secure. Do you ever doubt? Do you ever have fears? Do you ever have questions? about whether you're really saved? I think a lot of us have. All of us have. Especially when we're young in our faith. It's, it's hard sometimes to understand, uh, okay, I'm saved, now can that be reversed? Can I, can I lose that? Can I do something to screw that up? And the beauty is, is that he wants you to understand, by the authority of the Holy Spirit, if you know Christ is your Savior, be assured your salvation is secured. You are his, and he will not let you go. Even if you wanted to, if you truly know his son, you will not be letting go. That should encourage us. That should give us peace. But as I was looking over this, there's, there's more to that. It's not just about doubting whether I'm going to lose eternal life, but it's fear and doubt in any shape or form. Scripture is clear. 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us that perfect love casts out fear. Fear has no good. Fear is not from God. And when he's telling you about the assurance that you have in Jesus Christ, it's not just don't worry about losing your salvation. It's don't fear. Don't doubt. The victory is won. Write down 1 Corinthians 15 if you can. Write that down. We're not going to touch on it now. By the way, does anyone need a pen? Got some ladies in the back that will bring you a pen if you need one. Anyone? Thank you. 1 Corinthians 15 should be uh, one of those passages that we put up somewhere on our wall, especially the last five to ten verses. Because it's a clear reminder that Jesus Christ has won the victory over sin and death. 
And the assurance that we can have is not just assurance that your eternity is secure. It's that presently, when you know Christ, you have nothing to fear. Does that mean life's going to be rosy? Absolutely not. These very Christians that John was writing to were persecuted. It wasn't comfortable, but it was secure. It was peaceful. Because when you are in Christ, the victory is won. So be assured of your eternal life and understand that not just your eternity is secure, but God's got your well-being totally in hand. And if we trust him, if we allow him to lead us, if we reject fear, because fear's there every morning, if we reject that fear, there's enormous joy, there's enormous security, there's enormous assurance that waits for us there. So understand, if he has a main point for you, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of losing your salvation. Don't be afraid of anything that comes your way because Jesus Christ is all you need. Assurance. Assurance was his point for writing 1 John. I think he goes on to explain in three other details where this assurance can come and and practically speaking, why you can feel that assurance. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence... That we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that have been asked of him. Don't forget for a second that God is sovereign. He's chief. There is nothing that happens outside of what he allows. That's a key phrase. might want to write that down. Nothing happens outside of what he allows. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is in complete control. And he's promised that everything that happens to you as a follower of Jesus Christ will be worked out for good. Romans 8. 25, I believe goes further. If you know the chief, if you know the authority, if you know the one in charge, you can have great confidence. Because if you go to that chief who happens to be your dad and ask for providing for you and ask for help and ask for certain things, he promises that he's going to answer those prayers. Now there's a key qualifier. Take a look at verse 14. Look at that scripture and point out the key qualifier. What is the way to have every single prayer that you ask guaranteed that it will be answered? There's a key phrase. That's exactly it. That is a huge statement. When, not if, but when we ask according to his will, what are the odds of it happening? It's a done deal. It is a done deal. Do we understand the power of that? If we can learn to ask of God according to his will, what are the chances of that prayer being answered? 100%. It's a promise. That's how he works. So what's the key then? 
What's the key? If we want all of our prayers answered, what do we need to learn to do? Yeah, we need to learn his will. We need to learn his will. Oh, easier said than done, right? God, in his unbelievable power and wisdom, through the Holy Spirit, through God himself who lives in you, has made a way for us to be able to pray the will of God. Write down Psalm 37, 4 if you can. Does anyone know that verse by heart? One of my favorite in the whole scripture, if not my favorite. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and what? He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is a concept that goes right along with learning to pray in the will of God. If I can change what I want to what God wants, if I can change my delight to be in God himself, what happens to the desires of my heart? They're given to me. What happens if I can change my requests to match what God wants as requests, what happens to those requests? They're answered every time. And you know what blows my mind is imperfect, flawed people like me and like you have everything that we need to learn the will of God so that our desires, when centered on God, are fulfilled every time. When our prayers, when asked according to the will of God, are answered every time. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12 lays out a very powerful uh, way of walking in our faith. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God has made it possible, because of the Spirit living in us, for us literally to have our minds changed so that the things we want are the things God wants. So that the things we ask are the things that God wants. It is possible and desired by God for my mind to be transformed, for the way I think, the things I want, all of it to be changed to match what God wants. You've heard the word sanctify, right? We usually tie that in with holy living. But what does sanctify really mean? Anyone? Set apart. That's exactly right. Set apart for God. Jesus, in one of the most intimate prayers recorded, is talking to his father in John 17. And he asks his father, sanctify them. Set them apart with your truth. That's connected to what we're talking about here. We want to think like God thinks. We want to want the things that God wants. We want God to set us apart from the normal way that my fleshly mind works. We want God to set us apart to think and act like God himself. He says, sanctify them with your truth. And then he lays out one of the most profound, but one of the most difficult and the most um, resisted statements of all scripture where is his truth he says sanctify them by your truth and then what does he say your your word is truth your word is true 
So let's back it up. What do we have? We have a promise that if we ask according to God's will, he'll answer. We have a promise in Psalm 37 that if we can delight ourselves in the Lord, he's going to give us the desires of our heart. We have a promise in Romans 12, 1, that our minds can be transformed to think like God. And then we have an action plan in John 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How do we follow the path of thinking like God, of desiring what God wants? His word. The tool is literally on our bookshelves in mass quantities. If we added up the number of Bibles represented in each of these households, I would guess it would be in the hundreds. We've got God's word right here. You've heard this. This is the tool for changing my mind from what I want to what God wants. This is the tool in how I change what I ask for so that everything I ask for is what God wants. And therefore it will be done. We've got the means to not only deeper assurance of eternal life, but we've got the means to answered prayer. It's through abiding in God's word. It's through learning it, reading it, soaking it in. At this point, we're going like, seriously, we've heard this 500 times. But it never gets dull to me when I read scripture and I see all these grand things that are possible. It never ceases to amaze me when it really comes down to, in so many ways, whether I want to tap into the power supply. Will we be men and women who finally decide that God's word is going to be a centerpiece of our day? Will we be the men and women that say, enough of this garbage. Let me know the mind of God and let me purpose every day to know the mind of God. It's there for us. And I would challenge us again, whether it's not starting the day till you've sought the mind of God or not ending the day until you've sought the mind of God or whatever you need to do to remember that the word of God has to be key. Now, let me warn you, is it going to be just fresh and wonderful and life-changing every time you crack open these pages? No. There will be dry times. The flesh, the world, the devil are very strong. And they'd have nothing more, they desire nothing more than to keep you from God's word. My own desires will not crave God's word. Only the spirit of God working in me. There's going to be dry days. When you're heading out to work at 6 a.m. and that means you you choose to get up 15 minutes earlier so that you're looking at the word at 5.45, there's going to be dry times. Let's be real. Keep plugging through it. Keep at it. You know what I've learned about myself? I seldom enjoy what I'm supposed to do the first few times. You notice that? But as the Lord changes me, as the Lord adjusts my thinking, I learn to love and appreciate the right thing. We're weird. Our desires are not set. You know, what I like or what I prefer, that's not etched in stone. 
And as we continue to be faithful to God's word, he will change our desires. He will give us more hunger for his word. He will give us more dependence for his word. Let's be real. If we want the joy that comes with abundant living, the kind of joy that John's talking about here, that when you ask, it's done because your mind is united with Christ's, it comes from his word. It comes from his word. Much more to say there. Um, here's something also that's exciting. The more I walk in the Spirit, the more I let the Spirit of God control me, the more that my mind is transformed by the Word of God, the more the Spirit is going to lead us, even in decisions that aren't written in black and white right here. What do I mean by that? Well, which job you should take next year is not printed in this book, is it? So, you know, how am I going to find the mind of God? You know what's amazing and what's supernatural? When I truly give myself to the Lord, when I truly soak in His Word, when I truly submit myself to Him and say, hey, transform my mind like you promised, He will guide you in those other steps. Many of you have experienced it. Have you had a decision to make? And when you're walking with the Lord, the Lord gives you a peace the Lord gives you a direction. It may take weeks. It t- may take months. But eventually you come to the point where, yeah, we believe that's what God wants. Think about the home that you've purchased. I remember uh, moving Kevin and Anna out of their apartment and hearing them talk about the, the in- encouragement that they had, that they just felt so certain that this home was what God wanted. Am I right? There's a joy there. There's a peace there. The address wasn't written down for, for Kevin and Anna to read. But because they were walking in the Lord, because they were seeking His will, God is not going to leave you on those superfluous decisions either. He is there for you. He's ready to give you guidance. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And what you'll find is that the more I abide in Christ, the more I soak in His Word, the more God is going to be directing every decision that you make. There are certain things that I wish I could go back and change in life and there are a lot of other things that I wouldn't change at all because I feel so confident that God led us in a certain direction. And that gives great enjoyment. Christy and I like to to sit around and think back on all the different things that God led us in. And yeah, I've got some that, that I wish I would have done differently, but there's a lot that we can look back and say, man, God was so looking out for us on that. I'm so thankful that he made his will so clear on that. And we continue to enjoy the the benefits of that. So God is urging us to lay aside our own desires and abide in him. And the only tool, I wish there was an easier way, the only tool is by consistent study of his word. Now the enemy, let's look at verses 16 through 19. The stumbling block is sin. And again, we don't need the world and the devil to trip us up in sin. Why? Because my own evil desires are ready to embrace sin at every turn. The old KT is dead, isn't it? But the scar tissue or the corpse is hanging around. If it's my desires, they're evil. If it's the spirit working through my desires, they're good. 
Every day there's a decision. Do I yield to the flesh, meaning do I give in to me, or do I yield to the spirit? And 16 through 19 talk about, talks about what happens when we give in to the flesh. Let's look at it. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And we'll, we'll continue on there. Um, let me read that those last two. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Let me start with uh, verse 19 briefly. Uh, I respect uh, John Piper greatly. He teaches, uh, I believe, through the authority of the Spirit. He teaches, I believe, with, with the power of God. Um, and, and one of the things that he said in the way I like it is, we have to come to realize that literally the air we breathe and everything on earth is under temporary control of the devil. There's a stark reminder here that... Anything of the Spirit is opposition to what you see and breathe around us. The devil is in control of many things that happen on the earth. Of course, all what? What was that first statement I, I encourage you to write down? Only those that are allowed by God, right? Don't make any mistake. God is still chief. But he allows the evil one, Satan, to have a, a bit of leash, so to speak, to roam around here on earth. And Satan's influences have warped the world. The world has been shaped in its view, in its values, in its ideology, to reflect the devil and lies. And right off the bat, we know that every morning we wake up and we take a step out into the world... Understand there's going to be opposition. But again, the biggest problem comes in verses 16 and 17. And that I choose on a daily basis to indulge in sin. And when first when you read 16 and 17, uh, the reality that I'm choosing to indulge in sin doesn't pop into my mind as a question. When you read those two verses, what's the first thing that pops into your mind as far as a question? There's a, there's a complicated thing here, it would appear. What is that? What was that, Sandy? What's this about sin leading to death? And at first, it's a little confusing there. But understand that all throughout history... There has been sin that leads to death. This should be a reminder to us that sin is no light matter to God. Sin is a serious, serious affront to God. If you go all the way back to Exodus, and, and we're not going to turn there, uh, but you can trace the children of Israel all throughout their wanderings. But in Numbers 20, verse 12, write that, write that uh, reference down. Numbers 20, verse 12, there's a direct... Uh, example of sin leading to death. Anyone know who it's referring to? Moses. 
God's chosen leader, followed God so closely. And then he got to this opportunity where God told him as an object lesson to these millions of children of Israel, speak to this rock and water will come out. And God had a plan in that. God had a picture, an object lesson that he wanted to communicate to the children of Israel. And what did Moses do? He hit the rock with his staff. Guess what happened? Water came out, right? Okay, no big deal. End result accomplished. Water out of a rock, a miracle. Praise God, right? But scripture teaches us that Moses, because he acted in pride, he acted in selfishness, he acted in his own desires, that he robbed God of glory. God had a specific part of his character that he wanted to show through an object lesson. And because Moses innocently, it would appear, hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock, Moses robbed God of his glory. And what was Moses' results? Anyone know? Moses was told after years and years of faithful obedience, Moses, you're done. You will no longer lead these people. You will not bring these people into the promised land. You go up into the mountain and guess what? You're going to die. Sure enough, Moses went up into the mountain and literally was literally died. There is sin leading to death. Sin is serious and I play with it. Sin is hardcore and I dabble in it. Sin leads to death. Well, thankfully that was the Old Testament, right? We don't have anything to worry about. Look at Acts. Ananias and Sapphira, two followers of Christ, two born-again believers. And in Acts 5, verses 1 through 11, they lie to the Holy Spirit. It seems simple. Write that passage down. Look at it later. Acts 5, 1 through 11. All of the followers of Christ were bringing their possessions and laying them down and and giving them to God. And God was choosing to lead and distributing them all around. And Ananias and Sapphira acted as if they were giving everything, but they had some land that they held back. And God said, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened to them? They were struck dead. There is sin leading to death. God wanted his glory to be shown through this generosity of his people. And Ananias and Sapphira decided to lie instead, robbing God of the glory that would have been brought by them giving it all freely. God is serious about his glory. Side note, but my heart immediately goes to, well, what a selfish God. Yes. Because he is the primary, the highest of all creation, it would be idolatry if God looked out for anything other than his own glory. That is his job. That is his existence. Because he is preeminent, because he is supreme, his glory has to be revered and put forward above all else if he's going to be true and holy. Because we're not the highest, that's hard for us to get. Because when I put my desires first, that's sin and selfishness, right? Because I'm not the chief. I am not the highest. God is the highest and should be praised and worshipped. If God would put any other well-being ahead of his own, it would be wrong. It would be sin. It would be a lack of holiness. God is serious and needs to be serious about his glory. And my sin robs God of that glory. 
Think about how many opportunities I have in a given day to do what's right. Do you realize that 1 Corinthians 11 teaches us that not only is God looking on to see whether we'll please him, but who else is watching? Legions of angels are watching your life to see glory given to God. Think about that picture for just a second. We in ourselves are sinners, wrecked, no hope of doing what's right. But because of Jesus Christ, God's son, we've been made alive. What an opportunity for legions of angels, both on God's sides and against God, to look at these messed up people and say, man, God truly saved them. He truly did a miracle here. Look at how they honor him at every step. And when I choose selfishness, I rob God of an opportunity to display to, to, to all how wonderful his redeeming love, how effective his grace and mercy are in my life. This has got to stop. Sin is serious. There's also sin that doesn't lead to death. And I unfortunately dabble in that every single day. But the reminder here is that that sin is equally robbing God of glory. That sin is just as despicable to God. And again, we're at a crossroads. As we pray for each other, will I choose to reject sin and embrace the way that God has laid out? Where do I get the strength to do that? Because it's tough. Abiding in Christ. It's having my mind transformed so that my evil desires are not as much evil, but more and more changed to desire what God wants. I would guess for many of you, the thought of some terrible sins is despicable. I would bet that when you think about some of the sins that go on around our world, I would bet that, ugh, that's disgusting. Why would anyone want to dabble in that? You know why? Because your mind has been transformed. Is it there? No, mine's got so much further to go. But, but being a child of God, you have a different perspective. And some of these sins that are so appealing to many are just disgusting to us. Why? Because it started. Be encouraged by that. The change is underway. Your desires have been changed. But there's too many sins that I gladly embrace. The sin of worry. I choose worry almost every day. That is a God-robbing sin. You're not never supposed to call out individuals from the pulpit, but I'm going to do it. Eeyore. Anyone know Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh? Mr. Negativity. Okay? How is Eeyore's mind and actions and thoughts... How does that hold up to Scripture? Scripture says, rejoice always, Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. How do we know God's will? He told us, this is the will of God, that you give thanks always. Positive thinking is of the Lord. Eeyore is contrary to the way that a Christian should walk. We are not negative individuals. Anytime I look at the glasses half empty, I'm walking dangerously close to disobeying Almighty God because he says in everything give thanks. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
You know what's crazy about sin? Is when I dabble in the negative thinking, I'm miserable. It's it's stupid. But I do it over and over and over again. I need my mind transformed so that I can recognize and turn from those sins that rob God of His glory. There's sin that leads to death. There's sin that not, doesn't lead to death. I believe he doesn't want us to get confused here with verses 16 and 17. I believe he wants us to understand that sin is serious. I need to turn from it. I need to be dedicated to living a holy life through the power of the Spirit. And that, I believe, is brought out, unleashed, allowed by me abiding in God's Word. Finally, verses 20 and 21, I think he summarizes and ends the entire book with that very challenge. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. What's an idol? Josh, you're nodding. What do you think? That's exactly right. Anything and everything that I put before God, when I choose to worry, I'm committing idolatry. When I choose to think negatively, I'm committing idolatry. When I choose to gossip, it's idolatry. And there's a very clear reminder here. Keep yourself from idols. Don't dabble in anything that would rob God of His glory. Don't put anything before God. And thankfully, the Spirit of God who lives in every follower of Christ is ready, willing, and able to allow you to change your desires, change your life, and follow His lead right on through. And whether you're 11 or 70 year old, or I don't know if we have any 70 year olds in here, I don't think we do. But the reality is that the Spirit of God is ready to lead us in an abundant life. And as John closes out his letter, keep yourself from idols. If John gives you one thing to remember, be assured that you belong to God. And along the way, we need to abide in His Word. We need to pray like crazy, believing that as we seek what He wants, it'll happen. We need to realize the seriousness of sin and turn from it every single day. And we need to embrace that God, we are in Christ. We are new creations. Uh, God is living in us. He wants to provide an abundant, joyful life. Father, your, your word, again, is pretty clear. Now we need to obey, and that's the hard part. I know that uh, my choices will continue to stray too many times, but I pray, Lord, that you would convict my heart and allow me to dig into your word so that I can abide in you, so that your your truth will sanctify me, that it will set me apart, that it will transform my mind. Thank you for your teaching today. And now, Lord, I pray even uh, ahead of time that you'd prepare our hearts for worship, prepare our our hearts to, to confess any sins that have been holding us back from real close fellowship with you. And even as we encourage each other, get us ready, Lord, to uh, proclaim how wonderful your Son is. Thank you again for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.